Welcome to Gray Maybe, a limited series podcast and social experiment based on the topic of abortion. My name is Jillian Schmitz. I'm a professional dancer, actor, teacher, author, artist, and cat lover. Through my own personal journey of recovery, I found that things aren't just black or white, or a simple yes or no. For me, in my recovery, there has been mostly gray area and a lot of maybes. In most of my stories, you can find the gray maybe. I'll be sharing my own process through personal stories, interviews, and hopefully stories of others in an effort to help lessen the stigma and shame of abortion. If you'd like me to read your story on this podcast, anonymous or otherwise, please email graymaybestories at gmail.com. G-R-E-Y-M-A-Y-B-E-S-T-O-R-I-E-S at gmail.com. Before we get started, if you haven't already, please subscribe on whichever platform you're using to catch future episodes of Gray Maybe. A note before we start. While the topic of abortion and my belief in it being easy and accessible to all people who can become pregnant is a comfortable topic for me, sharing my own personal stories is not. I have a justifiable amount of fear of possible hostility and violence, both in person and or online. I also anticipate the possibility of judgment ranging from my own family to strangers, in addition to the potentiality of losing certain work opportunities for publicizing my own experiences. I'm telling my stories and the stories of others through the lens of our own experiences. The revelation of our processes are ours to tell. If you disagree with the views or stories on this podcast, know that I'm not speaking on anything other than the experiences and viewpoints of myself and others. Take what you like and leave the rest. Any feelings this podcast activates in the listener is for the listener to process and recover from. Any criticism you have based on these experiences and choices are yours, and they are not anybody else's burden to carry. Welcome back, everyone. I started this podcast eight weeks ago, and it was impulsive, terrifying, and imperfect. I thought maybe four to seven people max would listen to it. I didn't know where it would go or for how long. I didn't know what I'd uncover or the effect it would have on my life. What felt like impulse was actually a call to seize the moment. What felt like terror was courage in disguise. What seemed imperfect ended up mirroring humanity perfectly. I'm unsure exactly how many people have listened, but it's many, many more than four to seven people. If this podcast was a stone thrown into a still lake, the rings of that effect will continue, with or without my knowledge. Although I now have a better idea of where this will go, I still don't know when it will end. As far as the effect it's had on my life, I'd have to say that would be recovery. Every time I said the word abortion out loud into the ethos of this podcast, I shaved down a little bit of my own fear and stigma. In telling my stories, I may or may not have inspired others to do the same, but I freed myself from emotional blackmail, claimed my truth, shed layers of shame, and inadvertently became a public abortion speaker and activist. I have marveled over the last eight weeks at how very deep the shame is. We are selective and strategic about who we share our abortion stories with, and we keep our voices low. We don't utter certain words out loud, 
and pick and choose which abortions are acceptably labeled abortions. We typically only openly discuss the ones we think are worthy. Some of us are silent entirely. The stigma so great we avoid personification and instead mask our personal truth behind banners and sayings. Although only a few people have shared their personal stories on the podcast these last eight weeks, I know without a doubt there is a silent army listening, relating, watching, and supporting. They're the same ones who showed up at the polls this past midterm. My favorite quotes of this season are as follows. Trauma is not what happens to you. Trauma is what happens inside of you as a result of what happens to you. By Gabor Mate in the book, The Myth of Normal. My personal paraphrase of, secrets keep you small and they keep you sick. And the very well-known biblical quote translated as, the truth shall set you free. If I could sum up the most powerful words from this season, it would be, Terror, shame, stigma, courage, bravery, and humanity. Doing this podcast has inspired me to continue on the path of sharing recovery publicly. Gray Maybe will have a second season with a new topic slated for January 2023, so please stay tuned. For this last episode of Season 1, I'm going to play a teaser on what Season 2's topic will be. It's an excerpt from an interview I did on the Words That Move Me podcast by Dana Wilson. If you're new to the Words That Move Me podcast, I highly recommend it. I listen to it weekly. I really enjoy Dana's interview style, commentary, introspection, and invaluable tools for not only personal development, but for a professional career in the arts and entertainment industry. This pod is polished and well-rounded. I can't say enough great things about Dana and her podcast. It's a great one-stop shop for information and entertainment. So, without any further ado, here is a segment from Words That Move Me and the topic for Season 2 of Grey, Maybe. What would you say is your relationship with your body now and what has it been? Mm, Loaded question. Good question. So I can't start here without tracking way back um, because it won't make sense. So so if I say right now my relationship to my body is tolerance, Mm -hmm. that I have to track that way back and maybe tell you why. So 12, 13, that's when I became hyper aware of how I wanted to look versus how I thought I might look and how I wanted to keep from not looking a certain way. So um, there was a lot of uh, a lot of noise in my mind about being very obsessed with what I look like, how I wanted to look, and how to avoid looking a way that was different than what I wanted. And I, I remember one of my babysitters actually, like when I was even before that age, talking about her thighs being large, like her, her thighs being big. And this woman was small, like by all means, it was already. And I remember being so confused by being like, I don't understand why she's saying that because I don't see what she sees. But the minute I, that was in my head, like that she, this woman I li- you know, liked hanging out with thought was so cool, could hate something about her body so much she brought it up that much and that it was so wrong, I really was like, well, there's something up with that. And I need to really be aware of that. And I need to make sure that that doesn't happen to me. 
And, you know, in addition to being very, very inundated with hyper heroin chic modeling of the 90s, that was kind of my influencing. Um, I was really into that of obviously being a dancer, seeing ballet type bodies that I very much wanted to look like because I thought that's how you could be a good dancer was to be that type of a body type. That's what was acceptable. That's what was needed. Um, so that was also a hyper fixation. And um, I grew up in a household where I didn't have a lot of control. I didn't have a lot of control when the environment was chaotic. I didn't have a lot of personal control. I didn't have a lot of personal anonymity. I didn't have a lot of personal agency. So food and body becomes a very, uh, a breeding ground, a perfect opportunity to find all of my own control. I'm going to control what I do. I'm going to control what I eat. I'm going to control how much energy I expel. I'm going to control what I do in my room alone. I'm going to control all of these things. And it became um, a coping mechanism that I can only say went so far beyond a coping mechanism and became what I would call a confidant and a best friend, but a really toxic best friend. And then as I got older, merged into, I could not tell the difference between that and me. I couldn't separate the two. So when I say that, I say that the, um, the, the monologue in my brain that says the most insane things, things that um, I can only relate closest to if you've seen the show Physical, um, it's in its second season. Jen Hamilton's a choreographer. Big, Kelly big Allen. Yes. Kelly Allen's the assistant or associate. On, uh, I'm not sure the official title of that as well. And that show, when I watched it, I said, oh my God, that's my, that's, that's, it. that's, that's, that's it. Right it. There. <gasps> they're, do they're doing it. They're doing it for everybody to see. And yes. that is, so that's the closest thing I can relate to what my mind says. And the thing is, is that it's said in my own voice. So I cannot tell the difference between myself and what I would call a disordered eating or an eating disorder voice. So that's really tricky. That's really tricky because you, those are voices you hear, but they're in your own voice. And it can be really confusing because you cannot, and, and when you get in that deep, you can't always decipher. So I did that for years and years. I remember in high school having a very you know a dramatic day and trying to throw up in the bathroom and it didn't work for me. So I didn't go down that route. But the feeling to do it, the desire to do it, even now, sometimes if I eat too much, the desire to do that, although mm -hmm. that was never my main, um, my main uh, uh, coping mechanism is still there. Um, my favorite thing to do was not eat all day long, see how long I could go without eating, and then eat a very large, satisfying meal, and then feel very guilty that I didn't eat the most healthy option that I could. And there were also times where I was only eating 800 calories and that was a salad in a Starbucks situation at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. um, there were times where I was able to get my body down to, you know, around 100 and some pounds. And then there were times that, you know, I would relax on the whole situation and come to 140. And I'm only saying numbers so you can see the slidingness. I'm not mm -hmm. saying that to, uh, for anybody to judge or measure themselves up against. Mm -hmm. Weight is actually like a very, uh, it's the furthest thing from health actually. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm just saying my, I'll tell you right now, my body, I should not be a hundred some pounds. Mm -hmm. I should be much more than that. So anytime that I've gotten down to around a hundred pounds is extremely um, uh, malnourished for my body type and my height and what I, what, you know, my muscle mass. Mm -hmm. So there was many times that I did that and that I did that for a really long time. And um, I never thought that I, uh, uh, that I had an issue or a problem. Um, I, I 
I never went to recovery. Like I never went to an in-person person, you know, like recovery where you get checked in and you have to like be force fed. I never lost my period. I never, my hair didn't fall out except that one time I seemed to have a lot more breakage, but I didn't have like bald spots. I didn't, you know, have the little fuzzy hair that grew. I didn't, you know, all the things that typical anorexia would be, you know, defined as because I was still eating one meal or I was still doing this or I was still doing that. But as you go down the road of recovery and disordered eating or eating disorders, and the reason I say both of them is because for the longest time, I could not even say eating disorder. I had to say disordered eating because I felt so strongly that I didn't earn my seat in that category, that I wasn't sick enough to get help. Um, so, or that I wasn't sick enough to qualify for that. So that was, you know, uh, uh, leading up to, you know, I had a, I, I had a knee injury and, um, I decided, oh, I, I need to like, you know, eat really well and really consistent to like, try to get my knee in the best possible place for hmm. my knee surgery and this knee injury. And I even felt a little bit like, um, maybe, uh, I caused from my kind of abuse of not listening to my body, not mm-hmm. feeding it well, not tending to it that I might've caused this injury a little mm-hmm. bit. And so I was like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to really, you know, now it matters. Now it really matters. I'm going to, I'm going to eat the right, I'm going to do the things and I'm going to eat that. And I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. And for me, that was like, oh, wow. Like you're really, you are out of control. Like when it really counts this whole time, you thought it just didn't count. Like it wasn't a big enough deal. And when it really counts, you still can't do it. You're out of control. And my boyfriend had said to me at one point, because I was on another one of my diets that I've made up in my head that I thought I needed to be on to attain certain results, which was like very orthorexia, if you're not familiar with the term, that is an obsession with organic or um, natural and healthy foods. And it can also develop into um, an eating disorder. Uh, And so I was in that orthorexic kind of spiral of like, I'm going to do this, this, and this. And I was making my boyfriend who has a lot of background in, in, um, dance therapy, physical therapy, training, uh, nutrition. Uh, I was like, you're going to help me. You're going to put me on this diet and you're going to da, da, da. And he was like, okay, yeah, well, this is what you're going to do. You're going to have this many calories a day. I was like, okay, well, if I'm going to do that, I could cut that in half and do that. And that'll be faster. He's like, no, you can't do that. And I was like, why not? I know how I'll get what I need. I can do that. I can be really sneaky about it. And he's like, no, uh, you can't do that because you have an eating disorder. And we had been together for many, many years. And that was the first time that he had said something like that to me and that I had that kind of validation in that moment of like, oh, oh, oh. And then it was like, okay, I'm out of control. I cannot control this anymore. And um, that's when I started going to therapy. Um, I, you know, started going into 12-step programs. One 12-step led me to another 12-step, which led me to another 12-step. And um, I'm still today in 12-steps all the time. I'm still in therapy today. And those are the things that have been life-changing for me, like so life-changing. And I wish I would have done it so much sooner. And I wish I would have had those tools younger. Um, So... Where I am today, like how many years, I want to say four or five years into some kind of recovery, um, where I have like what I would call a sobriety in, in eating and food and things. I can get to tolerance and on some days I can get to almost love or maybe like, but most days if I can get to tolerance, that's a win. 
And I say tolerance, and I say that for people because of the body positivity movement right now, which I'm so happy about. I'm so happy about the body positivity and the body inclusivity, but here's the only problem with it. For someone like me, and I get that if you see me, you may be like, what are you complaining about? You have the body type that some people might think, da, 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 because it's not in the mm -hmm. body and it's not in the food. Eating disorders live in the mind. And mm -hmm. so many people have them who don't look like they're sick. They're really sick. And um, so with the body positivity movement, the loving the body and the just love your body and you got to love your body and it's important to love your body and love your body. <sighs> if you don't feel that way and if you can't get there, it triggers shame. Right. And, and if you think that's the way. Yes. That's how you have to be. Otherwise, you are, to bring it back, wrong. Yes. Or broken or something's something the matter with you. wrong with you. Yeah. So mm -hmm. for me, when I hear this, like, love your body, and it's like, I love when people talk about loving their bodies. I love when they say they want to love their body. I love that. For mm -hmm. me, it is really hard to get to love. But mm -hmm. I can get to tolerance most days, and that's as good for me. And mm -hmm. that's – so that's why I just say that because I do feel like sometimes – the uh, the uh, the need for everyone to feel good about themselves is so strong that it yeah. borderlines anxiety in this way mm -hmm. that then triggers shame and a shame spiral, which is counterproductive to that type of movement. Totally. Um, when I listen to this, I will be rocked to my core. I can tell I'm, I'm like, I'm tearing up because this is real freaking talk real that talk. many people, even in the body positivity moment, aren't saying. Yeah. So thank you for saying it. If you'd like to listen to the full episode, please head over to the Words That Move Me podcast, episode 138, on Apple, Spotify, or wordsthatmoveme.com. Although initially, Gray Maybe was going to be a limited series podcast and social experiment, I'm going to keep season one open-ended for any more abortion stories I may receive. There won't be weekly episodes for season one released, unless I receive an abortion story to read. So, if you've been working on your story and haven't finished it yet, or you haven't had time to write it down, or maybe it's been trickier than you'd thought and it's taking some time to process and move through, Please still send it when you're ready. The mission of this season should continue. I believe we do lessen the shame and stigma of abortion through sharing our own stories. The email box is open for when you're ready at graymaybestories at gmail.com. G-R-E-Y-M-A-Y-B-E-S-T-O-R-I-E-S at gmail.com. A final note before I close. While the topic of abortion might be a comfortable topic for you, sharing your own personal stories may not be. You may have a justifiable amount of fear of possible hostility and violence, both in person and or online. You might anticipate the possibility of judgment ranging from your own family to strangers, in addition to the potentiality of losing certain work opportunities for publicizing your own experiences. You reserve the right to tell your own stories through the lens of your own experience. The revelation of your process is yours to tell. If anyone disagrees with your views or stories, they should know that you're not speaking on anything other than your own experience and viewpoints. They can take what they like and leave the rest.
any feelings your stories activates in the listener is for the listener to process and recover from. Any criticism anyone has based on your experiences and choices are theirs, and they are not your burden to carry. If you made it this far, thank you so much for listening, and I hope you were able to find something relatable in today's episode. As I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, this is also a social experiment to see if in telling my story and the stories of others, I can embolden listeners to share their stories. If you'd like me to read your abortion story, anonymous or otherwise, on this podcast, please email graymaybestories at gmail.com, G-R-E-Y-M-A-Y-B-E-S-T-O-R-I-E-S at gmail.com. Thank you to everyone who helped make this Gray Maybe podcast happen. Producer and editor Roderick Barge, cover photo by Jose Perez, music licensed by Pixabay, special counsel Jada Ellingham and Roderick Barge. Special shout out to supporter Patty Olgain. If you'd like to support this podcast, please rate, share, comment, and subscribe. Until next time, bye for now.